expand your mind and enrich your world. It's time for another outstanding podcast from ICRT. We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week, a roundup of the top news stories from around the island over the past seven days. I'm Keith Manconi of ICRT News. Joining me in studio today is Gavin Phipps. Good evening. And by phone, we're joined by ICRT Central Taiwan correspondent Donovan Smith. Donovan. Hi. Today on the show, we're doing a bit of campaign news. We're covering some fisticuffs in the halls of power of Taipei over the easy card controversy. And we'll be covering a new race car track coming to central Taiwan. But first, the dengue fever outbreak in Taiwan shows no signs of losing steam. On the contrary, health officials are now predicting the disease will continue its rapid spread until January. Uh, that's a big extension. Previously, they had been forecasting a tapering off towards the end of this month. Uh, currently, official centers for disease control figures show that the mosquito-borne virus has infected just a little more than 11,000 people. Uh, with 25 confirmed fatalities. But according to CDC forecasts, the outbreak is likely to infect more than 30,000 people before letting up. Uh, so it's it's looking like we're in the fight for the long haul. Gavin, uh, while you were off last week, lucky you, uh, you were actually in Tainan that whole time. So uh, you were kind of at the ground zero of this whole thing. Uh, what did you see while you were down there? Um, Not a lot. Just, en- just enjoying the food? Didn't see a lot at all because there wasn't many people there. Ah, uh, yeah. Tourism has definitely gone down the toilet, yeah. I could say, in Tainan. Usually you go to these tourist places and they're just mobbed with tourists. Local tourists, China tourists, Hong Kong tourists, whatever. But this time there was nobody there. It was like the place was a ghost town. And even at the weekend when I went to one of the main markets down there, Guohua Street it's called. It's a great area to eat if you like food. Usually that's completely mobbed. You can't move there at all. But when I was down there this past weekend, you could move all you wanted to weren't bumping into crowds, weren't bumping into anybody yeah, at I all. But there was a lot of people weren't wearing short trousers, however. Yeah, I imagine. Which I noticed. And a lot of people wearing sort of jackets, which is rather hot in Tainan at midday. But, you know, people were taking precautions. It beats dengue fever. Yes. I also, another part of Tainan, well, I didn't go to the northern part of Tainan, which, of course, is a city, used to be a county. So the northern part of what used to be the county is considered the hot zone i did see in part of the city the military walking around mm. spraying anti-mosquito repellent with members of the city government mm-hmm. all covered up yeah <laughs> I, I i imagine you were wearing long pants as well unfortunately yes yeah. i found i to my yeah i didn't like that at all <laughs> not at all. it was way too hot but another interesting thing is the of course sales of mosquito repellent have gone through the roof. Yeah, no surprise there. Which is quite interesting because, of course, you can get lots of mosquito repellent and you go into the like the, the Watsons and the Cosmed type of places, the, you know, the not not chemists, what would mm. you call them, the sort of the... the drug stores. Drug stores, but they're not chemists, they're more like drug stores, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, it was quite interesting because we were looking around there and they only were selling the stuff that's absolutely useless. <laughs> they weren't actually selling the DEET containing anti-mosquito repellent, which is the one you're advised to get. You need the toxic stuff. You need the toxic stuff. But only 15% of the toxicity is needed. Mm-hmm. More than 15% is dangerous. But that was quite interesting. And actually finding, a, I didn't, in fact, we didn't see any DEET repellent in Tainan. That's the good. only stuff you could mm. get was the, the supposedly natural non-toxic variety. 
Right, but then there was that one consumer group that came out and said well, that that stuff the, is no help. This is, well, finally, the Consumers Foundation came out on Thursday of this week, actually, and said, look, you know, the, the essential oil-based mosquito repellents don't contain DEET, and basically, they're completely useless. Yeah. So I guess people are more afraid of those toxic chemicals than they are of the mosquitoes. I don't know. Which is rather worrying because, of course, dengue fever is not a very nice disease to get because, of course, if it mosquito bites you, you infect the mosquito. Yeah. And yeah. the mosquito can then infect other people. Yeah, it's not something to trifle with. So uh, it seems like uh, most of the what the news has sounded like for the last couple of weeks is just we're given a number out every day. That number is getting bigger and bigger for the number of infections. Uh but uh, beyond that big number headline, there also has been a bit of a response uh, from the government. Uh, Donovan, what can you give us on that? Well, they have set up a uh, command center down south um, uh, to coordinate efforts. Um, and I believe other uh, gov- city governments around the island have uh, sent down uh, people. I know, for example, Lin Jialong sent down a, a team to help out. Um, and the, the, um, <clears throat> the premier has said that they're going to establish uh, what he called a firewall. Now, what exactly that entails, I'm not sure, because uh, there were no details. Uh, really. I was scratching my head over that, too. It sounds like a big deal. Yeah, it does. But uh, you'll notice from you know, all the reports I've seen, I, I didn't see any description of exactly what that would mean. Mm. Right. What's quite interesting about this is watching the television. What have you what, seen the television news has been quite amusing. Uh, amusing might be too strong a word. Some of the stations have tried the, the frightening approach. There was one channel I watched that I won't name that had a number kicker at the bottom of the right-hand side of the screen that was actually going up with mm. the number of cases, which is rather frightening and rather yeah. stupid, if you ask me. You know, There's also been some criticism of like events in Tainan, in the Tainan area, where local borough chiefs have come out and sort of asked for money to help fight dengue fever. Mm-hmm. When basically someone I know who works in the drug business said, why are they asking for money? You don't need money to fight this. You need human common sense right. to get rid of any waste water, any standing water, mm-hmm. and basically deal with the mosquito breeding grounds. You don't need money to do it. It's a very low-tech fix. Basically, yes. Yeah. I'll tell you what I find really quite striking about this is they're, they're now estimating that they'll have thirty to 37,000 by January, although it'll start to turn around uh, in October, is what they're saying. Um, but the, the thing that's really quite remarkable is, of course, in the highest number that was ever recorded before was last year, and that was 15,732. So they're predicting that it's going to over, most likely double or more, more than over double this year, over 2014. But in previous years, the highest numbers recorded in a single year were around 2,000, and that was in 2007 and 2010. So it's like all of a sudden this Southeast Asian disease is, is really kind of exploding here in a way that is, is quite quite remarkable. You know, I won't say remarkable in a good way, but striking, I guess, would be the word. Well, that was another thing in Tainan. There was a market, a flea market in Tainan. Uh, the name of which I forget at the moment, but apparently they traced the case zero. They traced to this flea market, and apparently the flea market is popular with Southeast Asian workers mm. in the Tainan area. Mm. So that, there are sense. sort of you know claims that you know it started because of the abundance or the abundance, the multitude, the large number thereof of Southeast Asian workers in the area at Ground Zero. All right. Well, that certainly uh, hard to pin down, but. Uh, one thing to point out about those official statistics is they did just start in 2000, so uh, it's hard to say what the picture looked like before then. Uh, but uh, 
it's a story that just uh, keeps sticking with us. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for the week where we get to not cover this. I hope that it comes soon and uh, comes under control so that we can, uh, you know, a lot of people can uh, rest more easily down in Tainan. Moving away from plague, though, and into politics. Uh, well, this week, just saw a whole bunch of little presidential campaign stories. So just to get through it all, we're going to serve up something of a political story lightning round. And topping the list, the Central Election Commission has formally announced that January 16th will be the date for both the presidential and legislative election. Uh, Gavin, I kind of lost track. Didn't we already know that? We knew that already, but it was a secret. No, I'm joking. It wasn't a secret. They they have to come out and formally say it, even though we already know. Okay. But they did come out and say that January the 16th next year will be, like you said, the presidential and legislative elections. And according to the council, registration for the candidates for the presidential and vice presidential election will be taking place between November 23rd and 27th. We already knew that as well, except they just completely made it official. Of course, we have three candidates now running. That's Hong Shou Chu of the KMT, Tsai Ing-wen of the DPP, and People First Party chairman James Sung. And of course, this week it was bye-bye to Sherming Der, of course, because apparently he couldn't get enough signatures to support his bid. Yep, uh, he needed to get, as an independent candidate, he needed to get 300,000 signatures to make it onto the ballot, and he couldn't quite make it. Then he complained about it. Yeah. I well, actually, see, he I complained about it first, and then he dropped out. Well, yeah, but then he complained about it again. I can't see why. Why are you complaining about it? If you if you can't get enough signatures on your petition to run, which I believe is three hundred thousand, then what's the point of running anyway? Because no one's going to vote for you in the first place. It, uh, Donovan, did did you see this as a doomed campaign from the start? Does this surprise you at all? No, I I, I saw that it was a totally doomed campaign. Yes, <laughs> same with James Songs, frankly, as well. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, his campaign seems to be losing a bit of steam as well. Yeah, That's, yeah. according to the latest latest figures, I believe, the um, support ratings, he's now third. Yeah, yeah. yeah he, he was, was second there for a while. 14%. He was quite well up second, actually, wasn't he, for a while? But then it's dropped down. Anyway, going back to the Central Election Commission this week, they did come out with some other figures, actually. Apparently, 18.81 million people are eligible to vote in the presidential election next year. And of that number, 1.29 million will, in fact, be first-time voters. So we could, you know, in the coming weeks, obviously, all the people are going to be looking for young people to vote for them. And uh, when we say first-time voters, Donovan, should we be thinking sunflower types? Um, obviously, there will be definitely a large contingent of them will be sunflower types, yeah. Um, in, at least in the sense that, I mean, pretty much now, the latest, um, I mean, the new generation now, they're over 90%, you know, self-identify as Taiwanese only. Um, and the, and the self identity issue seems to be quite a big one that's resonating very strongly with that generation. Um, so they'll they'll definitely be voc- uh, voting for parties. I think they're going to strongly throw their support behind parties that self identify as Taiwanese. So not necessarily green, but uh, the identity issue is uh, the important issue. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, a lot of them may may go for the DPP. A lot of them may go for. Um, lo, you know, the, 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 they may go for uh, you know the NPP or the SDP Green Alliance, or but uh, I think that will be a, a pretty big issue for them. All right. Well, uh, there were pretty big stories coming out of uh, both major campaigns this week, both the DPP and the KMT. Let us start on the KMT side with uh, KMT candidate Hong Xiuju who this week vowed to promote reconciliation if elected. That was one of a number of stories that involved her this week. Uh, uh, Donovan, give us a little bit of an update on that end of things. 
Yeah, well, she, it seems to be, well, she talked about reconciliation. Interestingly, she seems to be, and has been for, for a while now, her main real campaign themes to be, seems to be a railing against populism. Um, which seems to be code for basically everyone is is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a weird thing to rail against in a democracy. Yeah, I, it is. Uh, it's a very strange thing, and her popularity keeps dropping. Um, you know, the more she keeps pounding on on this issue, and it's it's a very weird dynamic. But it seems to be the more the less popular she, she becomes, the more she digs in her heels on it. Um, Yes, yeah, so it's. I believe that she. You know, there's one poll the other day that had Song uh, at 14, and she was at 15 or 16, um, and she just keeps dropping. Um, it's 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 quite a remarkable fall. I, I don't I don't think she can fall much further though. Um, I think there there is a base that she can hit. Um, and of course, her campaign wasn't helped this week by the Lama Girls <laughs> press conference, uh, which was really quite an embarrassing. Uh, uh, event where um, she brought out the, the, the she had these Lammy girls, they're uh, cheerleaders for a baseball team, and they appeared in a calendar uh, supporting Hong, and the sport the the baseball team fired them for unauthorized appearance in this in this uh, calendar, so Hong invited the girls to a press conference to show her support for them, and at the press conference a journalist asked the girls. You know, would you, are you going to continue to support Hong? And oh, she first said, uh, you know, she was asked, "Will you go out and campaign for for Hong?" And she said, "Well, we haven't really thought about it." They asked again, um, "So, do you continue to support Hong?" And the girl said, "We support what's right." And they, and then uh, Hong herself re-asked the girls the question, "Do you support you know Hong Shouju?" And she and the girl said, "We support the right people." Um, so uh, Hung was literally on at the press conference asking the girls herself if these if they support her, and they they totally blew her off. It was really quite a remarkable press conference. I think they might have been trying to get their job back, though. <laughs> yes, I suspect that's, <laughs> that's the case. Yeah. Because of course, technically, it, it is illegal to talk to if, you, if a company is it's technically illegal to stump for candidates at work. So yeah. in offices and in companies, you cannot walk around the office saying, hi, I'm going to vote for this guy. I'm going to vote for this woman. So technically, I guess the baseball team sort of saw it. Hang on a minute. We pay your wages. You're paid by us to wave your pom-poms around every weekend. So why are you doing this? Because you're in uniform, you're, you're, we should point basically out. Basically, you're re- yeah, they were in their pom-pom clothes. They were in their Lamy clothes. In the cat, the Lamigo monkeys clothes. Yes. Yeah. Which basically means that they. It looks like the baseball team is supporting the KMT candidate, when of course the baseball team, by law, can't do that as a company. Yeah, that was such a cringe-worthy moment, though. And uh, Hong Shouju really dug herself in. I mean, she just wouldn't let the moment pass. She kept pressing them on it. Yeah. Uh, Maybe she should get her own pom-pom goes. Couldn't hurt. Yeah. Couldn't hurt. Uh, right. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, kind of a dark political moment for the home campaign, but uh, we will we will move on from that uh, because there was a lot going on on the DPP side as well this week. Uh, Gavin, give us an update there. 
Yeah, well, Tsai Ing-wen once again came out and said that she vows to maintain the cross-state status quo if elected. And while this is nothing new, those comments came after a poll which was carried out by the United Daily News newspaper, which said, according to its poll, 55% of the general public, and this is a quote, support maintaining cross-state status quo forever. So that's the highest number we've seen I'd so like far. To eat, I'd like to eat apple pie forever, but you know it's not going to happen <laughs> because I'm going to get fat and stupid and eventually get sick of it. Well, that's why we don't run polls on that kind of thing. Precisely, yes. Anyway, the DPP also came out this week and announced its campaign finances, where it said by well, as of Thursday it had received 75 million NT in donations, and of that, 48 million came from small contributions. The DPP also came out and said we're going to make all our contributions and all our donations completely transparent and show everybody what we got but another interesting thing they said they wouldn't be accepting contributions from conglomerate donors which is quite interesting because that's a, a could be seen as a snub against big business of course which you know could either backfire or go in their favour. But what is another interesting thing is the DPP said they managed to raise 200 million NT for the last election in 2012 through their piggy bank initiative. And of course, the, it's the piggy banks, Donovan, did you? The piggy banks? Yes, I've seen those, yes. Yes. Nice little piggy banks. You know, you can take them home and keep them, give them to your kids. You send the, them out to donors is the idea. Then and they just. They fill them up with their change yep. and they send them back. That was the idea. Well, of course, people didn't. But, you know, people could have kept them. Yeah, they kept <laughs> they, them as souvenirs. They've they actually basically, made special yeah. souvenir versions now. Basically. Anyway, so they spent 200 million NT in 2012, the DPP, and the party this year said that Tsai Ing-wen plans to spend less money on campaigning this year and rely more heavily on small donations. Right, yeah, it seems like a slightly different uh, campaign strategy. Uh, Donovan, what, what, reading between the lines a little bit there, uh, is, is it just because they don't need as much money as last year, or, or is it a totally different strategy? Um, I mean, it could be a different strategy as well. I mean, that's part of it. I think that she's doing it partly for to to drive home a point, or 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 if you look at it another way, it's just a political ploy. But to to suggest that the party is not like that, it's different to draw a line between itself and the KMT that we're not, you know, not, we're not a corporatist party, um, mm. and to sort of reach out to a more populist base. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's it's it's, and I, I think yeah, you're right. I don't I don't think they need to spend anywhere near as much this this time around. There's of course the economy because of course the economy is in the toilet. Yeah, people are moaning about not getting pay rises. So a politician going out and spending billions of dollars just to get elected, Mr. Trump, of course, in America, there's <laughs> an example there. Although it's in America, it doesn't look very good to the general public, does it? He's just spent five million dollars. Why would you vote for someone who's got that much money to waste? Yeah. All right. Well, that is quite enough politics. For one day, I think. So we're going to have to call an end to that lightning round. We're coming up on a break. When we come back, Taipei politics gets heated and desk slammy. And Formula something, some odd number racing, comes to central Taiwan. That's all coming up after this. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week, ICRT's weekly roundup of news from around the island over the past seven days. I'm Keith Menconi, joined by Gavin Phipps and Donovan Smith. We're starting off the second half with a story that we originally brought up in our silly news bit at the end of the show. Uh, but this easy card controversy, or Hatano Gate, as some English language dailies have come to call it, uh, the thing just will not go away. And it's turning out to be pretty serious business for Mayor Koenja. On Tuesday, Mayor Ko announced that he would request that EasyCard Corporation demote its chairperson, Tai Chuan, 
That's the man behind the decision to put Japanese porn actress Yui Hatano on the front of limited edition easy cards. Uh, and this is really the hardest line that Ko has taken on the matter so far. I mean, up till now, he's uh, seemed quite reluctant to get involved in the internal decision-making of uh, Easy Card Corporation. But uh, despite the hard line, it seems like it has not been enough to appease uh, many in the city council, who were hoping to see the complete removal of Tai from any position of authority uh, in the company. Uh, the issue came to a head on Wednesday when KMT Councilor William Shu made some insinuating comments about the relationship between Mayor Ke and Tai. Uh, so let's start there, Gavin. Uh, for folks who haven't been following Taiwan politics for too long, uh, that little insinuation is uh, quite difficult to get into. Uh, help us unpack that a bit. Yes, it all boils down to a comment once upon a time made by Neil Pung, who's a writer and a man that runs for office every time there's an election, basically. And he's also well out, very outspoken, and he uses some rather gritty language and some rather nasty words to describe people, which so-so. <laughs> Sells so, books. Basically. Anyway, he came out a couple of years ago and he said that uh, Jingpu Tong, who's a great friend of Ma Ying Zhou, was enjoying a sexual relationship or a special relationship with the president. Jing Putong took him to court and the case was thrown out. The judge said, this is okay. He didn't actually mean it in a nasty way. (laughs) Anyway, earlier this week in the Taipei City Council chamber, William Shu came out and insinuated that Neil Pung could in fact come out one day and claim that Kerr was having such a similar special relationship with Dai. That's, of course, the Easy Card Corporation chairman. The Mayor Kerr got rather angry about this, rather flustered, and was then seen slamming his fist on his desk. This led to other issues. The KMT lawmaker took offence at this, to which he slammed his fist on a desk and got rather agitated, to which a DPP city councillor got rather agitated and slammed his fist on a desk and then walked (laughs) over to William Shue's desk and the pair squared up. It was a case of in the red corner we have William Shue and in the green corner we have Dong Chun Young. There See, we go. That's fist that slamming. This is what I'm Lots talking of about. Fist slamming. But, of course, Dong and Shu did get rather close to each other, and city councillors from both the KMT and DPP piled in to separate them. Had to restrain them. It's like a, you know, those pre-boxing match press conferences <laughs> type of thing. All right. So, I, I mean, that was, that was really the highlight of the week. That was the fun bit. But... Uh, City councillors are actually making a number of demands on Mayor Ke as well. There's some substance here. That goes back to the issuance of the cards. Because while, the, of course, the Easy Company, Easy Card Company, rather, did say, we're going to sell all 15,000 to make a heap of money, it transpired that they didn't actually sell all 15,000 of the cards, did they? They actually gave some, quite a few, away to people. Many officials. Many officials, yes. Which makes me wonder how official these officials are when they want porn actresses <laughs> on their Easy Cards and how often they actually take public transport. And so the city wants the list of the names, right? I believe I don't know, I believe they 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 released some names, or was it partial names, Donovan? Yeah, they released uh, they released a, a list of 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 officials and um, and PR departments and things like that. But they used uh, they only used the surnames of the city officials and city councillors and all of that. And so the city council has demanded, first of all, and they found a lot of mistakes in the list. So they've actually sent it back to the city city government and they're going to revise the list i'm not sure if they're going to come out with i think they're going to come out with people's full names um on the next list to be released i wonder if these cards were delivered in plain brown envelopes 
uh, yeah, you, you, you don't want, you know, this is funny. This is the one time where you don't want your mom to catch you with a uh, easy card. Um, yes. But uh, they're also, interestingly, asking for uh, Mayor Cut to apologize for the desk slamming. Yes, apparently that, they didn't like this very much. They thought, this you can't be slamming the desk if you're mayor. Well, I believe the last mayor of Taipei slammed his hand on a desk a few times and got rather uppity. Yeah. So this whole thing really seems, uh, to me anyway, to point to uh, quite a division between Mayor Ka and the city council. I mean, when I when I first heard about this piece of news, like, really, I was expecting this to be a punchline for one week's worth of news. We are a month into this thing, and, you know, it's, it's shutting down the city government. There was a boycott on Monday, I think. Um, so... What is uh, what is going on here? Is, is is this really just indicative of a really bad relationship between a mayor and a city council? Um, well, yes, it would seem to be. I mean, I, this this is sort of internal Taipei politics. I'm, I'm more more familiar with Taichung, but from what I know of this case, it seems to be the KMT is is the side that's picking the fights on this one. So what's interesting is it's turned into, even though because an independent, it's sort of turning into more of a pan green, pan blue. And city councils, like here in Taichung, Taichung and up in Taipei, city councilors do a lot to try and get their, their, their faces and names in the news. And I think there's a lot of that going on here. Of course, the Easy Card Corporation was once headed by Sean Lien. Yes. Of course, and he was the KMT candidate for the Taipei mayoral election last year. And, of course, he left that job to run as mayor. And, of course, when he was Easy Card chairman, how... Long Bing was, of course, the KMT mayor of Taipei, so they were good buddy buddies. So maybe the, I think maybe the city councillors are thinking, "Hey, on a minute, the, the DPP or the independent people are moving their people in to the Easy Card Corporation." Yes, and you have to wonder if they had a special relationship as well. And precisely, they didn't have mucky cards, though. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, so uh, we can only hope. We can only hope that. All of this good fun continues in the halls of power of Taipei City so that we have uh, more stuff to be snarky about. We'll have to wait and see. But we're going to move on to our last story for today. And it looks like a new F3 racing track may be coming to Taichung, Donovan. Yes, that's right. Uh, it's in the Holy District, um, and it's uh, the proposed ra- racing circuit is to be constructed at Libao Land, uh, which is previously called the Yame Recreational World. Um, so it's going to be in Holy. It's... Um, and uh, so the developer says that they're going to hold four international races and they're going to have 50 private races every year and they're going to construct a hotel complex to go with it with 585 rooms to accommodate what they say is they're going to bring in uh, 3.8 million tourists. Now, they're also going to be putting in uh, sound barriers and planting a bunch of trees as part of the project. So it's passed, it's passed an environmental protection uh, assessment. So that's sort of where it stands. Um, Gavin, what, you know a lot more about racing, so can you fill us in on that? Oh, thank you. Do I sound a sporty type to you, do I? <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> All right, okay, there we go. There you go. There you go. There's a car. Anyway, of course, before this, this is not the first track in Taiwan. Of course, many years ago, they had the Long Tan National Speedway Circuit. That was, re- that was located in Long Tan in Taoyuan County, what was Taoyuan County then. Which, and it was, I went there a few times. I will admit I went there a few times. They, it was a pretty ratty circuit. There was not much to write home about, and they used to race cars there, but, of course, cars couldn't get very fast on a 1.8-kilometre circuit. But the, the fun thing there was they used to have scooter racing. 
Oh. And you've, have you ever seen scooter racing? The guys put the leather on and they drive 150cc scooters around this track. <laughs> it was it was very it was quite something to watch actually. But then a couple of years ago, the owners of this track in Long Tan actually opened another circuit, the Penn Bay International Circuit, which is in Donggung in Pingdong County. Now, this circuit, they actually tried to get FIA. FIA is the International Motorsports Organization. And they basically tried to get FIA clearance on this with the idea of having um, super, not superbikes, but actual motorbikes, not um, scooters, as in the long tan mm-hmm. circuit. Now, I'm not sure whether they actually have a sort of superbike or large motorbike racing there now, but they do host a couple of international events. One of them is sponsored by Lamborghini. And this circuit down in, in Pingdong is three and a half kilometres long. So I guess the new circuit in Taichung, do we know the size of it yet, Donovan? Uh, no, I don't know. Right, we'll just have to see. I mean, it's quite interesting. Obviously, motorsports taking off in Taiwan. Obviously, at the rather low end of the scale. This is not like Marina Bay or Brands Hatch or something. But, you know, maybe it will lead to a breakthrough. Maybe Hans Lin will return. Of course, Hans Lin is Taiwan's <laughs> most famous motor racing driver. He might not have raced in Formula One, but he's certainly had a lot of races in sort of rally races, Formula Renault Asia, Formula BMW, Lamborghini, Taipei and so on and so forth. But he was starting in Formula 3, I believe, many, many years ago. So maybe we'll see a lot more of that. Maybe we'll see a lot of that. Maybe in 50 years we'll have Formula 1. So, Gavin, you definitely are a sporty guy. Uh, <laughs> the, apparently, F3, by the way, is, is considered... It, it's a way for uh, drivers to sort of test out their skills. And it's sort of like a... Um, uh, a bush league for uh, F1 is what I've heard. It's one up from go-kart racing. Yeah. <laughs> that's the, I, I think, think it's the... more than one up. It's a couple up from go-kart racing. All right. Well, I mean, and that, that's things. That's something that people talk a lot about in Taiwan is uh, kind of creating that foundation for some of these sports to take off, uh, starting on the low level so that you can build up the talent and uh, have people more successful down the road in their careers. Of course, this is quite interesting with soccer recently mm. because of soccer. It, it, Taiwan have been playing in the 2018 Asian World Cup qualifiers. That's for the World Cup in Russia in 2018. And these are the Asian qualifiers for that. And they've had a couple of games recently, one against Thailand and one against Vietnam, where they, for the first time, actually packed the stadiums. Oh, people wanted to see it. 20,000, it was 18,000 people, I believe, saw them lose to Thailand. (laughs) And 20,000 people saw the island's national soccer team lose to Vietnam. Well, which, which is quite something, considering I've been to soccer matches here, internationals, and usually you can count the number of people in the stands on one hand. Well. So 20,000 people. So, you know, it's another push for another sport here. If they'll pay to see those losses, just imagine what they'll pay for once it starts winning. Who knows? All right. Well, that was going to be the last story for the broadcast, which means that we've just got you podcast listeners out there. And it's time for the silly bit at the end. And uh, there were a lot of options this week, but we just had to go with the story that involved a Taiwan pop icon and cat poop. Tell us about that, Gavin. This is Jam Shao, and that's not the cat poop. <laughs> Just that's to clarify, the guy, that's the guy's name. That's we don't want any name. lawsuits. That's the guy's name, Jam Shao. He's a, he's an award-winning singer. He's won a Golden Melody Award-winning prize or two. Anyway, in 2013, he was getting out of his car near his house in Taipei, and several young men walked over to him and they threw 
cat feces and cat urine at him. Hmm. They missed him, however, and they got his car, and they inadvertently hit his driver. The it's always bloke. the driver that gets it. Gets it. It's always the driver. Anyway, this week, the Sherlin District Court here in Taipei sentenced the four people to terms of between three and five months in prison for throwing the cat excrement and urine at Jam Shao. The court ruled that they did. They did. They set out to do it deliberately. So obviously, throwing <laughs> cat poop wasn't a spontaneous act. They actually, the court ruled that they planned to do it. That would take some premeditation. And what's interesting is apparently the ringleader of this group of four men, the cat poop throwers, as they're now known. The Cat Poop 4. The That's cat- quite catchy there, actually. The Cat Poop 4. I like that. After after people hear this podcast, that will be how they will be the known. The Cat Poop 4. Anyway, the, the prosecutors said that they apparently decided to attack Jam Shao because the girlfriend of one of the Cat Poop 4 was pushed at one of his concerts in early 2013. I'm really unclear about that. They were pushed by Jam Shao or she well, was the, pushed? This is the question. They, they, were, they were jostled, pushed by someone at one of Jam Shao's concerts. It's a concert. Well, I know, but it's not. It wasn't the Ramones. You know, it wasn't a <laughs> punk band concert. It was Jam Shao. So there was no mosh pit. So, so obviously they didn't expect to be pushed or shoved at this concert. And they're taking it out on the pop star. They took it out on Jam Shao personally you, and his car. With this level of revenge, you'd actually think the Shao was trying to give her his jam. <laughs> That's true. Also, Donovan, no, with this level of revenge, they could have picked a larger animal. Yes. <laughs> you, yeah, yeah if, if it was cougar poop, that would be a whole different story. <laughs> Send a whole different message. Even <sighs> bigger, maybe. An even bigger message. They could have found those cows down in southern Taiwan. Oh, that would have done the trick. That would have done the trick, yeah. <laughs> they, he wouldn't be riding in that car again. No. All right. Okay, well, we're just keeping the show classier and classier with these stories. Yeah, that was a bit of a messy ending. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Okay, we're just going to run away from all of this. We're going to run away. Roll the end credits, I think, is uh, what uh, the audience is clamoring for at this point. You can send us your thoughts on the week's major stories on the Facebook page or on our blog. You'll also be able to find this program online at the ICRT website and on iTunes. If you are listening through iTunes, please take a second to rate and review the show. It lets us know what you're thinking and helps other people discover the program. Signing off from the ICRT studio, I'm Keith Minconi, joined by Gavin Phipps. Gavin. Yeah, good night. And Donovan Smith. Donovan. Have a good evening. And thanks to all of you listening. Uh, See you again next time on Taiwan This Week. Tune in again next Friday evening at 8.30 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.